welcome back to another edition of Do Theology Reacts. I just got done watching the Trent Horn and Gavin Ortland debate on Sola Scriptura. Trent Horn is maybe the most famous Catholic apologist right now, one of the most famous. He's debated James White and engaged in several debates. Gavin Ortland is getting more and more involved on the debate scene, it seems like. And uh, I have to say, I really appreciate Gavin Ortland. His brother, Dane, wrote the book Gentle and Lowly. So he's not the author of that book. He's the brother of that uh, author. And they are uh, they just come from a ministry family, too. But uh, Gavin Ortland has actually written some stuff on the same things that we talk about here on the Do Theology podcast. He's written a book about hills to die on. And it's all about theological triage and determining which doctrines are more important than other doctrines. So uh, that's pretty interesting. And uh, I, I just think that Gavin does a great job in this debate. I, Of course, there are times where I would do things, say things a little bit differently, which, you know, as someone who's been in four or five moderated debates, I know that it's way easier after the fact to sit back and look and say, oh, I wouldn't have done that, you know, <laughs> way, way easier than when it's in the moment. So, uh, I mean, I just, I applaud Gavin. I think he did a really, really good job. And uh, there are just a couple things I want to talk about based on what Trent Horn is saying, the way that he's framing questions and making assertions that I think would be relevant and helpful to our audience here. So, what I'm going to do is uh, play a couple of clips. The first is from Trent Horn's rebuttal, I think his first rebuttal. And then after I give a few comments on that, we'll jump over to the cross-examination time when Horn is cross-examining Ortland. All right. So I'll do this. And then. Uh, he says the church can be authoritative even if it's not infallible. Well, it can't be spiritually authoritative. Uh, I could lose my job at my church. Yeah, I could get fired from Catholic Answers, but it doesn't have eternal consequences. That's what we're wondering. Does the church have spiritual consequences? Now, I agree the church can be authoritative even without being infallible. Most Catholic teaching has not been infallibly defined. But the Protestant church can't be authoritative because it lacks essential unity and not like things that Catholics might disagree about. Should I baptize my baby? That's a big deal, and Protestants will give you different answers. Is remarriage after divorce adultery? Protestants will give you different answers. Can a persistently, gravely sinful Christian be saved? Protestants will give you different answers. Once saved, always saved people like Charles Stanley say yes. So, and there's a lot of people who believe that. Is homosexual conduct sinful? Depends on which Methodist or which Anglican you ask. Now, of course, there's going to be Catholics who think it's not sinful, but we, act, but we have an authoritative teaching within the catechism that says otherwise. What are the essential doctrines of the faith? That's right, Gavin had to write a whole book on what are the essential doctrines because the Bible alone doesn't tell us. And Protestants don't even agree on the essential doctrines. How could Protestants agree on the essential doctrines of Christianity when Protestants can't even tell you what the essential doctrines are? All right. So uh, you can see here how the debate over Sola Scriptura has kind of evolved into uh, this time of considering what doctrines are primary and which ones aren't. I, I think those two issues are very much related. So you have this concept in Roman Catholicism of a magisterium, the church, this 
church that can make pronouncements that are completely, totally authoritative. They can write catechisms, they can hold councils, and they can come out of such meetings and uh, they can create such documents with authority, that there's binding authority over the people in the same sense that the Holy Bible is authoritative. Now, Protestants, of course, disagree with this. And one of the ways that Trent Horn here is seeking to poke a hole in Gavin Ortland's Protestant Sola Scriptura perspective is to say, well, look, you guys have all these disagreements. You can't even agree on what's essential. Now, if you are familiar with how we do things on our podcast here, you know that we don't really like the word essential because all doctrine is essential. If God has given us a doctrine in his word, it is essential. Uh, We like to use the words primary or secondary. We like to talk about varying degrees of importance rather than essential versus non-essential. And that's really important because when you say essential, the question naturally becomes essential for what? Okay. What is essential for salvation? Well, that's actually a pretty short list comparatively to all the things that we have in the Bible. It's a pretty short list, but we realize that there is more than gospel doctrines that constitute primary doctrine. So the way we approach it is if it's definitional to Christianity, it's primary. That is not just the gospel, though the gospel is at the top of that list. Absolutely. But there's more than the gospel that should be considered primary. Our doctrine of the Trinity, the nature of God, that is definitional to Christianity. Our view of the Word of God, definitional to Christianity, our bibliology. I mean, what is the Bible? I mean, you got to get that nailed down. Because if you say, well, it doesn't matter what you consider the Bible to be, Well, now you're off in some other religion than Christianity. The existence of of hell, that's that's a critical doctrine when it comes to defining Christianity and what heaven is, by the way. Uh, Morality, sexual morality in particular in our day and age. I mean, there's so many things that we have to recognize are critical to defining what Christianity is, that if you move the goalposts, if you change the definition, now we're off somewhere else, all right? But at the top of that list is the gospel. So that's why we don't like to say, you know, essential and non-essential. Now, if we're saying, um, you know, what are the doctrines essential for salvation for someone, uh, someone has to grasp these in order to be saved, uh, to believe in these doctrines in order to be saved, okay, then we can use the term essential. I'm cool with that. But other than that, I think we need to talk about importance, Okay, rather than essential. Well, uh, here, you know, Horn is saying, look, you've got all these different views of, of what is important. I'll just kind of substitute my word in for his. And that shows that you need more than just the Bible to, to do this thing. <laughs> you can't just have a Bible and say, now go be Christians. You, you have to have more. You have to have a church that can articulate more, especially as we come up, bump up against more modern issues, a church that can give you a modern articulation of belief and can keep up with the times, so to speak, and give you the final say. Otherwise, you're just going to have schisms left and right, just like Protestantism. And that shows that this is not the way 
that God has designed it. All right, that's Trent's whole mindset, Trent Horns. Well, um, there's an episode that we've done on this podcast titled, Does God Desire Doctrinal Differences? Where we wrestle through this. Because that, I think, is ultimately the question. Does God desire doctrinal differences at any level? And uh, it's a difficult question to answer, but we devote a whole episode to answering that question and talking through all the issues, probably close to an hour, where we just work through that because it, it takes time to work through that. And what we have to recognize as Protestants who say that the Bible is our sole authority, that in the Bible we have the sufficient teaching for all things regarding life and godliness— We have to say that through the Bible, God has made the most important or the primary doctrines clear in a way that they transcend our Bible interpretation methods. And the secondary doctrines or the lesser important doctrines, God has chosen not to make them as clear. Now, notice I'm talking about the clarity of doctrines. I'm not talking about the clarity of Scripture itself. Scripture is clear. However, the interpretation of Scripture is a major part of this whole conversation because there are some doctrines that God has seen fit to leave up to our interpretive methods. Yet, the most important doctrines, the primary doctrines, As long as you are reading the Bible in a valid way, recognizing that the words are are words to be understood, that the uh, revelation of God is meant for us to take up and read, and that we're not, uh, you know, inserting some sort of backwards view of definitions or something like that in here, but we're, we're just taking the word as it is. Any kind of valid approach to Scripture like that, you're going to end up in the same place as all other Christians on the doctrines that are primary. Now, I I do need to put a little asterisk there, because um, there are some people, of course, who, though they're saved— on some of these primary doctrines have gotten strange. We actually did a whole episode on this too. You know, so you have C.S. Lewis endorsing evolution and you've got Bonhoeffer endorsing strange things. You've just got people that are saying strange things throughout church history. But those are the, uh, not not the rule, but the exception. You have, say, the, the, the gospel itself. You have agreement worldwide among all Christians about Jesus's death and resurrection, that it was a bodily resurrection, that he never sinned, and that we have sinned, and that's the problem, and that he ascended to heaven, and it is by faith alone that we are made right with God. I mean, there's, in a nutshell, the gospel, and you have Christians worldwide agreeing on that, even though they have some very different interpretive methods for the Bible that make them believe different things in secondary issues. But on the primary issues, starting with the gospel— there's agreement. How is that possible? Because God has seen fit to make those particular doctrines clear so that his people would have consensus. Yet, there are other doctrines where he has not given his people consensus. Now, again, we did a whole episode on that. I would encourage you to listen to it. Uh, because we took time specifically to work through that issue. And it's very, very difficult. 
of course. But the answer isn't, let's have a church tell us what's right on whatever they want to tell us. And, uh, and now the church has equal authority with the Bible. That's not it. It's not to take a group of creatures and to give them the same level of authority as God's word. That actually uh, doesn't really solve anything. And Gavin Ortland brings that out in the debate. I think he does a good job with that. So there's my initial response to what we've heard from uh, Mr. Horn so far. Let's see if there was more on this particular section that I wanted us to uh, think through here. And they clearly don't agree on that. And if you only pick a church to belong to because it agrees with your interpretation of scripture, then you are the authority, not the church. Uh, going through here, the cumulative entailment. All right. Um, we'll pause it there. Yeah. He just said, you know, if you are choosing a church because it aligns with what you've concluded from scripture, then you've made yourself the authority. Then you're, you're essentially the magisterium. Well, um, that's not the way Paul talked of the Bereans, of course, you know, the Bereans searched the scriptures to test what they were being told. And, uh, he praised them for that. He didn't say, Psh, fools making themselves the authority. He didn't say that. Uh, so there's a lot that could be said about that. But we'll jump now to the cross-examination period where Horn is cross-examining Ortland. Let's, so, let's talk about essential doctrines. I think that's really important. Uh, so are there, I love Finding the Right Hill to Die On. Good book. Definitely get it if you can. Uh, Gavin's book. He says, is there ever a time when a true Christian denies a first-ranked doctrine? How much error may we tolerate before losing confidence in someone's salvation? It's difficult to say. So are there doctrines that if a Christian were to deny them, it would reveal he's not saved, but is instead an unbeliever? For example, if he were to reject that Christ is the Messiah? Yes. Okay, so we could call these essential doctrines. Well, yes, although that you could sometimes use the phrase essential doctrines for what must yeah, no, that'd be that'd work. What's what must not be denied? Yeah. Does the Bible contain a list of essential doctrines? Um, no, there's no. Again, it's the same as the last kind of question. There's there's not going to be a systematic treatment of that. I would say that again with the phrase the due use of means there, reading the scripture carefully, um, you can make progress at that. What I said in my opening rebuttal to you on this point is, uh, I think we have principles by which we can make progress and come to reasonable certainty about a question like this, essential doctrines, I don't think that will take away every disagreement. So there will be people who will disagree on exactly how you construe that. Uh, is All right, so or Ortland is exactly right. Uh, there are means that we've been given, namely our brains being made in the image of God and as believers, the Holy Spirit, who helps us to understand the Word of God, we have these means to be able to examine Scripture and see what it is that God would have us to believe and how He would have us be behave. Okay, we, we are able to ascertain this in Scripture. Now, Trent Horn's question, though, is, does the Bible give you a list of what is absolutely primary or definitional to the Christian faith? You know, he said essential, but I'm, again, substituting my own word in there. Does, does the Bible tell you what's definitional to the faith? And if someone rejects this, then he is not a Christian. And 
as Ortland says, no, the Bible does not give us that. I mean, that kind of actually goes beyond the scope of what God was doing in the Word of God. As far as uh, he, he's not giving us lists, uh, bullet points, and an outline, okay? He's actually doing something that is much more complex and also much more beautiful as he's organically speaking to his people in a way that they will hear his voice, because the question of canon comes up in this too, and you can hear it in the debate where they go back and forth on how do you know what books belong in the Bible? That's also really critical. But God is speaking to his people in this organic process where his people hear his voice, they follow him, they acknowledge his word, they submit to him, his word has authority, and in so doing, he's working within them to produce a result that is also outward, and it's just this amazing existence now in the new covenant as we have the Holy Spirit in us. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and individually we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, respectively. And God is just doing an amazing work and building his church and causing his people to not only hear his voice, but to also recognize what doctrines are transcendent of our Bible interpretation methods, which doctrines are uh, you, you just can't compromise on, the doctrines that are most important, the doctrines that are primary. And he's given us unity in the church through that. Now, can we break that down and explain exactly how that works mechanically, like we're you know, describing a car engine or something like that? I don't think we can. But I think we can get relatively close or close enough to say, yeah, this is this is what's going on as far as here are some of the, the players involved, and this is the result, and it's an amazing thing, and we're benefiting from this process, even though we don't fully understand it. Uh, Trent Horn here seems to be requiring that we explain God's business, <laughs> and we can't. We cannot do that. That is uh, beyond our capability. Right, so let's uh, jump back in here to where it goes from here. Is but that's not a problem for sure. me. Is belief in Christ's human will an essential doctrine? Mm. <laughs> I love you, William Lane Craig. Hello. Um, I would say no, but I would say it's very close. Uh, how about Christ's human mind? Oh, man, the last time I got grilled on theological triage, I look back and cringe, so I hope I get this right if we're going to go through a lot of these. What was this one? Christ's human mind? Yeah, there's a human mind. I, I, I honestly, is, I, I really would like to take some time to think about that. The last time I That's answered fine. questions like this, I, I don't want to shoot from the hip on when you're talking about, is this going to make you saved or damned? No, that's... I want to think about Then I, that. I would just like to... I just want to make a quick note here. Great move by Ortland here to say, I'm not going to play that game, but also, but also doing it in true, genuine humility of... I've done this before, and I didn't like the way that turned out. Um, even though he's on a stage in front of a bunch of people, and there were, I think, well over a thousand people watching live, and there have been tens of thousands now who have seen this after the fact. Even though he's got all that pressure, he's still saying, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I really respect him for doing that. That was a great move by Ortland. All right, next thing. You know, do Protestants have a place I could go to get the answers to those questions? 
No, <laughs> there's no. Well, first of all, Protestantism is not one church. So if you if do you, you do you know a church that does have those answers? Not in the way you're asking the question like that. There's not. There's no Protestant church that's going to come along and say, "Here's the list. It's 17. Here you go." Um, or I could go and ask, "Do I have to believe to be a Christian that Christ has a human will or a human mind or a human body? Like, does, is that an essentially as a human body?" You could go to some of the classical Protestant texts, and they will treat those kinds of questions. Turretin, if I recall, has a, a treatment of Christology. What are the essential parts of Christology? C certain ones, though, because it seems like. If I go to William Lane Craig's Philosophical Foundations or Theology, I'll get a really different answer. You'd get a different answer to that? Of where, are there places to look for? Or, or well, the what the answer question? to those questions are. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There are Protestants like William Lane Craig who have a different view on, mm -hmm. on the uh, question of is, does Christ have two wills? Certainly. Or I could go to the ecumenical councils and they have answers. You don't think that they're infallible, but they have... A, define those questions. Yeah, but I mean, if all of this is construed as a criticism of sola scriptura, I have to say I don't really think it hits the target because the persecuted scripture never says no one's ever going to disagree on important questions like that. So good. So good by Ortland there, that response. Uh, at the start of that last clip, Ortland asks, you know, is there any place for the Protestant church to go to get a list of the essential doctrines or the definitional uh, doctrines of Christianity. Um, dotheology.com slash chart is a great place to go. Dotheology.com slash chart. <laughs> we have a chart that we've made to help people think through this. But but no, I mean, that that is, we're not the final say. Absolutely not. We never claim that. We don't think it's authoritative at all. We think it is one way of going about figuring out the paradigm here between primary, secondary, and we would say conscience issues or opinions. All right. Uh, but as Orland was saying, th there is no list like, here are the 17 things that are essential. I mean, that, that's just nonsense. E even on our chart, we say these lists are not intended to be exhaustive because there's so much to see in the Bible. And new things will keep coming up. If, as soon as you make an exhaustive list, so you say, there will be something else that comes up where you say, ah, boy, I don't know. I don't know about that. So what we want to do is just learn how to think, not give me a list and I will follow the list. We want to learn how to think and even think on our own and think as a church. I mean, this is gospel living. This is new covenant living. This is, uh, this is not a religion of works righteousness or religion of submitting to creaturely authorities. So what Trent Horn is actually doing here is he's trying to get Gavin Ortland to play the Roman Catholic game of where's your list? Isn't it better to have a list that was handed down to you from some guy who has authority? <laughs> and as Protestants, we don't even think that way, right? As Bible-believing Christians and those who hold to the authority of Scripture is our sole authority— we don't even think that way. So it's kind of a nonsensical question for us. Like, well, what do you mean? Someone giving you a list. What we want to do rather is to learn how to think about these things and 
follow God's leading in this life that we trust by his spirit's leading organically. Again, there's that word organically, not through some rigid, hard system of lists and rules and creaturely authorities, but organically by the spirit, we want to follow him into the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Will there be disagreement on important questions? Yes. Yes, there will be. But on the most important questions, is there disagreement? And the answer is, of course, rarely. If it's the gospel, then no, because a Christian it becomes a Christian by believing in the gospel. And so can two Christians disagree on the gospel? Well, actually, no, they can't, because uh, the reason why they're Christians is because they believe in the gospel. And there's one Lord, one faith. Okay, so that's important. When you get to the other definitional aspects of Christianity beyond the gospel, is there disagreement? That's where I say rarely. I mean, you have those outliers here and there that shoot off in a different direction for something. Like we talked recently about John Stott believing in annihilationism, not believing in the eternal punishment of hell and the lake of fire, but that all people will be annihilated and just cease to exist uh, the, the people who are judged, not believers. Believers will live forever in his view, but the wicked will be annihilated. Well, that actually does go against what the Bible has to say. And that's a primary issue for me. Now, am I going to say that he's unsaved because of that or that he never was saved or, or something like that? No, I'm not going to say that about John Stott. Uh, however, I am going to say that he is off the mark on something that is that is a primary issue on something that is definitional to Christianity. That's what I'm going to say. Now, again, I'm not here to force my chart on anybody else, though I think it's an amazing resource, actually. (laughs) But I'm not here to force you to think the way I'm thinking. But we need to think through this as Protestant Christians, and you got to have some sort of paradigm for handling this. you got to field the ball one way or another here and figure this out, all right? Well, let's go back. I think there's a little bit more I wanted us to hear from uh, Ortland. Uh, that does happen. It happens in your church, too, if I may say. Uh, let's see here. Let's talk about the... You know what? I want to back up because this is where I wanted to end, actually. Let me let me back up just a little bit, because um, I think he he just makes a great point to finish us off. Or I could go to the ecumenical councils, and they have answers. You don't think that they're infallible, but they have defined those questions. Yeah, but I mean, if all of this is construed as a criticism of sola scriptura, I have to say I don't really think it hits the target, because the persecuted scripture never says no one's ever going to disagree on important questions like that. Uh, that does happen. It happens in your church, too, if I may say. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, uh, again, I just absolutely love that where he says there will be disagreements on important issues and it even happens in the Roman Catholic church, Mr. Horn. It's not like introducing a creaturely authority solves all the issues. Look at the times in Roman Catholic church history when they had two popes at a time or three popes at a time. And they're trying to figure out who they were supposed to listen to. Look at the Roman Catholic Church now, when there are many who believe that uh, homosexuality is okay. There are many who believe that abortion is okay. You've got, I think, some chatter now about uh, 
priests not having to be celibate anymore. I, I saw a headline. I, I probably shouldn't speak too much on that, but maybe one day that'll get reversed. You know, there are certain things that, that can get reversed. And what we're doing now is just instead of thinking for ourselves and being led by the spirit individually and in local churches, which I think is the clear biblical model is we're saying, if we take a Roman Catholic model, let's give one guy the authority, the Pope, or let's give this council of guys the authority and they'll just tell us what to do. And that is not the answer. It actually does create more issues. It does not solve the problem of people disagreeing. All right. Well, uh, it was a good debate. I suggest that you check it out. I'll put a link in the notes below or in the description, wherever you're consuming this content, I'll put a link. And uh, again, I thought Gavin Ortland just did a great job. And these, are, this is an extremely difficult topic when, I mean, he, he was doing a debate on Sola Scriptura and here they are talking about, you know, these issues, they are related, but they're equally difficult. And uh, it's a lot to juggle, especially when you're on the spot like he was. And I I do think he did a a wonderful job. He represented the Lord well, and he represented uh, us as Protestant evangelical Christians really well. So great job, Gavin Ortland And um, Trent Horn was very respectful. They were both respectful. So it's just a a good debate to watch. And uh, perhaps my comments have been a little bit helpful, too. I hope so. Again, we have uh, some episodes in our catalog. You should check out where we deal with these issues more in depth. And we do have that chart at dotheology.com slash chart. Check it out, and we'll catch you next time.